0: I'm Alistair Wolcott, very excited to be here today for a two-part series, uh, really to lean into the topic of FOMO, how it's dead, are you actually ready to sell using customer value creation? And I got two people with me today that I adore and love in the industry. Of course, you all know Howard Brown, co-host of the RevOps Podcast, founder and creator of Revenue IO. And then also, one of my former colleagues, distinguished former vice president analyst from Gartner, and now the global head of research communities at Eco, Brent Adamson. And for those of you that shockingly may not know Brent, Brent was co author, bestseller, challenger sale, and challenger customer. For 20 plus years, Brent has been arguably the person most of us have turned to to go, hey, he's got like this crystal ball of where the future of sales is headed, and what's he think? So very excited to be here today to discuss this topic. Brent Howard, great to see you both. Great to be here. Howdy, Alistair. How you doing, man? Good, good. So let's dive right in. I said we're going to two parts here for the listeners, um, because I know we're going to have a lot to say on this. But when we think of FOMO, right, like fear of missing out, let's just set the stage with what's going on in the market a little bit for everybody right now. So. Three major things, right? Number one, how and where we create revenue is getting more complex. I think we can all agree on that, right? There's a lot of direct in the B2B. We got the emergence of ecosystems, which are expected to increase as much as 60% worldwide. Um, And then we got the emergence of and desire from buyers for self-service models. Um, Brent, you and I saw some of this at Gartner. McKinsey just came out and said it's now almost three quarters of buyers. 71%, are willing to spend more than $50,000 in self-service models, and actually over a quarter, 27%, half a million. And when you think of like the average deal size out there today, that hits almost all average deal sizes that are out there, right? Because most sit in around the low six-digit range is where they are. So we got the self-service model, we got ecosystems, and, and this is really setting that stage to be customer-led from a sales perspective and value generation from a customer. And I get mean, one final point on this and then throw it to you too. But Forbes also just framed it this way and I thought it was is a beautiful framing. This was with them and Emergence Capital Partners. And they said, look, the market conditions we are in right now and, and probably going to be for the next 18 months or so, really companies in they want to grow need to switch to two things. How do you help a seller win over a rational buyer? Right, that's alignment of buying experiences. And, you know, because if buyers aren't buying on FOMO, fear of missing out all the hype and all the things of what everybody else is doing, they're actually surprisingly going to get back to basic fundamentals of rational buying. How are you going to help sellers do that? And number two... How do we sell on customer value creation? And Brent, I want to start with you on that because the key word there to me is actually creation. It's because everybody says I create customer value, but we're talking about actually creating value for that end buyer, for that end company, and helping them logically understand that. So let's dive in as far as we can on this two parts. Brent, floor is yours. Customer value creation.
1: Goodness sakes, so you couldn't start with a joke or something, man. This is <laughs> this is like heavy duty, man. You just like you just jump in, like wow. Um, so there's a lot going on.
2: <laughs> I think we've moved from two part series to five part series with that list of questions. It's like solve the world's problems. <laughs>
1: It's like I'm man just, good uh, luck right i'm just kind of depressed <laughs> i'm wondering if alistair the, the fomo the fear of missing out is the sales rep fearing them uh, that they're going to miss out on actually getting to talk to customers anymore the uh so obviously there's a lot going on not just in the setup but in in just in the world that we live in right now um and and maybe just the pick up on a couple things. The um, Where do we begin? Why don't we, let me actually maybe start with the last thing you mentioned, which actually is kind of intriguing to me, which is this idea of creating value for customers. I was just debating, discussing this with uh, my colleagues here at my new company, Ecosystems. Uh, We are a a software as a service platform. I guess we're all software as a service these days, but um, so I I live in this world now of of what's known as value management or value engineering, value realization. Um, Alistair, I don't know if you appreciate this or not, but probably I've worked with you know, chief sales officers, chief marketing officers for the better part of two decades now, I've been deep in the world of B2B sales for a very long time. And I could probably count on one hand the number of chief sales officers who have used the term value management proactively with me. In other words, it's really interesting to me in the three or four weeks now I've been in ecosystems, to be sort of marinating in this world that I even didn't really know existed. I, w- I was just talking to my co-author, Matt Dixon. We had lunch the other day and he said, Brent, this sounds really cool. What is value management? It's like, you don't know either. It's like, it's, it's really interesting to me. And Howard, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, but this idea of value management, 'Cause you get into certain, particularly tech companies, there's a whole discipline around this. There's a there's a an ecosystem, if if you will, of people who have made this their profession. There's C suite officers. There's hundreds of people employed in this idea of value management. And and I think you're only gonna see this idea take off because it goes back, Alistair, to what you're saying in the in the marketplace today where um, look, we're all under pressure economically, so we're having to make some really hard choices. Um, this, we've all, well, people my age, I was gonna say, we've all been through this before, and I guess it's actually not true, but people my age have been through this before. Uh, and so we kind of know the drill, right? This is where uh, really tough conversations start to happen around cash flow, around liquidity, around uh, availability of funds, long-term bets that you're placing on whether they're nice to have versus need to have. And so all that comes back to you, I think, Alistair, your point, which is, and I, it sounds like, uh, uh, was it Forbes I think you mentioned uh, around? Um, companies are going to be holding their not just sellers more to more higher level accountability. They're going to be holding themselves to a higher level of accountability. We have to make sure that the bets that we're placing on behalf of our company uh, make sense, that, that they're rational. Now, maybe let me just throw this out there and we can explore so We can go whichever direction you want. But so, so part of that means the. Emphasis on understanding the dimensions of value along which we're going to measure this 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 decision become critical. So how are we? We can't just like, oh, we'll give it a shot. We don't live in we'll give it a shot world anymore, right? So we live in a world of we need to understand exactly what are the dimensions of value along which we're going to measure this decision and be able to track that over time. I would, however, quibble. That, I don't know if that necessarily makes it a rational decision. So much of the work that I did at Gartner before departing and I still continue to do now is around not so much um, customers' rational decisions, but their emotional decisions. And one of the things that we've found to be critical, I'm going to tie all this up in a bow, I promise. I think it all comes back together. But the, uh, I think one of the things that's, that's proved to be critical in customer decisions today is their level of confidence in the decisions they're making on behalf of their company, which I would argue is less about rational than emotional in the sense of, it's not about what I know, do I know these things, but how do I feel about what I know? But the two go hand in hand, don't they? In other words, I need to make rational decisions on, on behalf of my company, that the, the ROI is there, that the value dimensions are understood, that we have a, a path to, you know, to a path to value as it were. But, but so that's the rational part of it. But we're, the, the decision ultimately is going to be made on, do I feel confident in my rational thinking? Do I feel confident in my decision-making? And I think that's very much a an affective side to buying that is just as much in play today, if not more so uh, than ever before. I don't, I don't know if I've if I broken your question, but I think that's, that's where I'd land on it. I
0: think you're right there. And I, Howard, I want to frame this to you, right? With-
2: let, me, let me weigh in first, though, before you start framing, because I, <laughs> I, I do want to dig in a little bit more into the customer value management, because you mentioned a couple things, Brent. Mm-hmm. The ROI of that decision making and, and sort of the, the value prop or value-based selling, as it were. When I think about customer value management, I think about, and you mentioned how we're all in a SaaS-based world, we spend so much to acquire customers today. And the way most SaaS models work is you look at the lifetime value of that customer. And if your payback period is more than the initial contract value, so you have to keep that customer for multiple years, you have to start thinking about the customer value beyond the ROI of that initial sale or when they hit that ROI point. So as a buyer, I need to be sold on not just the short-term ROI, but I need to know that what I'm buying today is going to help me retain my customers, is going to help me acquire the customers, it's going to help me continue to drive value for those customers because I no longer can think about the short term, I just need to acquire a bunch of customers today. I have to think about what am I going to do to service that customer over the long haul. So I think it's changing the approach as well from the sort of short term ROI, or even the, the short term value base to what am I going to get over the long haul? And how, how is that going to change the trajectory of my business?
1: But you know the the time horizons are it's it's really weird, Howard. I'm really trying to. I mean, I sincerely mean this when I say I'm trying to wrap my brain around this because it's so complicated, right? So the the time horizons seem to be going in both directions simultaneously. So to your point, the time horizons are extending, right? So how am I getting value of this over time? But the flip side is they're also compressing around things like subscription-based. So rather than signing up for a three-year contract. I'm signing up for a, month, a month-to-month renewal. Mm-hmm. And and the thing that I've just now begun to wrap my brain around, Alistair, I'd love to get your thoughts on this because you're smarter than I am, um, is this consumption-based model that just seems to be coming over the horizon now where I'm actually charging you or you're paying me, depending on your perspective, not year-to-year, not contract-to-contract, not even month-to-month, but just on off, like on a consumption-based model. I'm just like... This hit my radar screen like two months ago, and I know it's been around longer than that. I'm an idiot, but the uh, I'm just trying to process that because Howard, that seems to be the exact opposite of what you're saying, which is these, like like literally infinitesimally small decision cycles where I'm I'm constantly deciding and redeciding whether or not I want to use your service. So I'm I'm trying to put all that together in my head. I don't know what to make how to make sense of it all. I think I think it
0: blends two ways, Brent, right? So one is yes, it's it's the immediacy of the decision cycle and constant reinforcement of value for sure. Yeah. Right. That's giving rise to a lot of these product led growth models, PLG, all of that stuff in the market you hear. Because now I'm able to quickly get something, but in it, I would actually argue it's a tremendous growth opportunity for a lot of companies, right? Because if you understand how to drive and support continuous customer value through that motion, now I'm driving adoption. Now I'm driving consumption. Now I'm driving it. But you better be able to have proof of value. Yeah. If you don't have proof of value, now, now I'm just an expense that's going to get cut next month because I can't. Right. Right. So I'm not locked into the contract cycle. I'm not locked into all of that. And so, you know, I think it I think it's gonna be hard for companies going forwards, right? Because they need to actually ensure from a product perspective and a selling perspective, the continuous reinforcement of value. That's right. So those engagements and how they are continuously reinforcing it is there. And Brand, I wanna link that back to something you said on confidence that I think is really important there. Yeah. Um, In in our near past at Gartner, right, there there was a lot of studies we did around buying behaviors and one of which showed that when people buy, sell are free or they just go buy something in a digital way, their regret, I think the number was around 26, 27%. It might be updated a little bit higher now, but it's roughly a quarter of the time, right? And that impacts how much they grow with the vendor. Because they aren't, they aren't confident, right? They aren't confident in themselves. I think that's what you're trying to say. Like I, I, I might love the product initially, but I, I lack confidence of what it's you know, yielding. Yeah. So in order to address that, that's where these consumption models can be powerful. It's
1: interesting. It's that constant reinforcement. So Alistair, let me, let me throw this out there. And then, uh, because the, you know, we've talked to marketing. So i, I worked with marketers for years too, right? And we always talk in marketing about the value promise or like the value proposition it's really interesting. If you play the logic out, this idea of th- there is no room anymore for a promise of value. It's got to be a constant demonstration. In other words, I can't promise you value and then say over the next three years, here's what's going to happen. That's right. It's it's actually has to happen right now, doesn't it, Howard? I see you nodding. Is that yes. is that right?
2: It has to happen right now, and it has to happen tomorrow. It has to happen six months from right. now. And again, and to, again, and again. And I have to constantly add more value, incremental value throughout the lifetime of my relationship with your product or service. This is
1: exhausting. Has anyone stopped to think about that? I mean, this doesn't, it, I get tired just thinking about this. I mean, I'm. this isn't for sure. I literally mean this. It's like, I don't know, Howard, what do you make of that? I just, I, I hear what you say and I, I see it. I agree with it. And I kind of want to go shoot myself. I don't know. I mean, it's like, it just. do you know what I mean? It's like, this is so
2: hard, isn't it? But I think that's the beauty of what we're seeing out there with products that are investing in data science, ML, AI, because yeah. the idea is the models are continuing to get better, mm-hmm. right? We're, we get this coaching network effect of all of the data, not just within our organization, but outside of our organization. So we're constantly improving on what is a best practice? What do I need to do to improve that experience, that product? And that's the beauty of all this engagement data that we're seeing, the, the whether or not people are utilizing the product, all the reporting needs to be based on value delivered. I get excited, I get passionate about, we have technology today that will constantly iterate because if you and I have to sit here talking about how to make it better, it's not gonna happen, right? right. But we have brilliant data scientists, we have incredible data sets. We have products to ingest and then deliver that value. That's where I get excited.
1: You're a glass half full kind of guy. I appreciate that. Okay, so, so I was, I was uh, having a conversation with my colleagues this morning. Someone, it was actually a client that we were talking to, made a really good point. And I think it resonates with, it, it will fit exactly with what you're saying. But let me throw this out and get you guys' reaction. In this world that we're describing of always on value, constantly being monitored, uh, constantly being judged effectively, um, the... Uh, I think Alistair, this is part of your original point. The starting point is what our client was saying becomes critical. In other words, you can't go into this and say, we'll figure it out over time. Right. right. It's like the, you can't go in with, again, with a value promise and fingers crossed and come back in three years, we'll see if it happened. So this is where, and this is a full on, just straight up plug, but I, I wouldn't be at this company called ecosystem. I wasn't super excited about the software, but this what, it, what it and things like it do is it, it creates a moment prior to that first initial rea- uh, relationship where you sit down and create a baseline right and say when uh, you, you collaboratively say all right what do we think we're going to get out of this relationship where do we think we're going to start what are the dimensions of value we think are important and that i think howard partly to your point is that it can evolve over time it can expand over time but if you're not starting with that baseline you have nothing to push back against later when you come back to ask the hard question about did it work is that right
0: yeah, it, it, moments, moments all the time. We we yeah you know, we harp on that continuously, brand uh, even in revenue IO, right? So yeah, the the idea that every moment of interaction means something, right? And you know, hmm. I hate to sound Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross on those that remember that old. It's enough. all about the leads, but but well, and, and it's also in every conversation. There, there is some form of sale, right? I'm either convincing you there's value or you're convincing me that I'm not producing enough value, right? Like, I don't care whether I'm talking to my wife on where we go to dinner or you're selling somebody an enterprise deal, right? Every conversation has that motion in it behaviorally, right? So so once you accept that and now you, you're what you're talking about, Brent, we have a benchmark to work from, well, I now can move that conversation, right? So that's where then we come into how do I now enable a value-based conversation all the time, right? How do I evolve that continuously? And that's Howard, from a revenue science perspective, like that's what you've been doing for 20 years is looking at the very behavior attributes. The difference is now we don't just talk about it. We can literally apply it because we have mass data sets to do it.
2: Yeah, Brent, I think you hit on something that's critically important. It's you have to know where you start Mm -hmm. as whether I'm a baseball player and I have a batting average or I'm a basketball player, I have a three point average. I have to know where my baseline is. So we've started here. And if I have a growth mindset, if I'm constantly wanting to get better, if I'm constantly wanting to improve, have to know where I started. And I have to constantly measure where I am today, what has improved, where am I sliding back in old behaviors, and what do I have to continue to work on? That is the whole idea for us about revenue science. It's let's benchmark, let's see where our baseline is. Everything we do should be focused on optimizing performance of every single person within your revenue organization. You have to measure it. You have to monitor it, you have to optimize it, and you have to be prescriptive on what to do next to improve those results. So yes, I love what you guys are doing over there because if you're setting that baseline, then we know where we're at. When I used, I was a clinical psychologist, when I used to meet with a couple, the first thing, tell me about where you are today. What's going on in your relationship? What's working and what's not working? You told me you've been married more than twenty-five years. My hope is that you guys are continually improving on your relationship and getting better. It may be you're just dealing with each other better. You may be ignoring each other better. You may have better conversations, but something is improving because if it's not, it's going the wrong way. We're 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 in, we're in
1: danger of moving into a different podcast now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> in also, life. I
1: I, I feel like my marriage is all of a sudden on trial, and I'm just gonna. There's all sorts of jokes and I realize they probably wouldn't be funny, so I'm not gonna say any of those. But the uh, well, this is but, actually but, you know,
2: an intervention, Brett. We're gonna bring your wife on.
1: <laughs> She's gonna walk in the door, isn't she? Uh, <laughs> but but Howard, something you said, I, I think we're in full and violent agreement on this. But but if I could, I want to tweak the language of what you something you said when you said, "Have I created value?" Used a lot of I's, and I I and I would just change them to we's, right? So in other words, change it to first person plural, right? So in other words, and by that I mean is the the selling organization whether it's success or service or sales or whoever it is on your team and whatever title they may carry but it's when your company sits down with the customer company together and collaboratively says have we achieved what we set out to achieve yes. together is that is that i think
2: that's fair don't you think bought on but as an organization that yeah I need to focus on from our standpoint yeah what are we doing to improve our sellers motion my customer success rate? and yes it needs to include obviously feedback yeah and that relationship relationship, that dynamic, 100%, it's a we. So,
1: so let me ask you that because in the last three weeks that I've been at ecosystems, the, the question, the word scale has come up probably five times a day since I got here, right? So so it's it's hard to argue in principle with what we're all so sort of smarty pants saying, right? So it's, I mean, it's it feels right and it feels logical and data supports it. And so we need to you know, have these conversations with our customers that identify dimensions of value, map them out and attract them over time. Um, When I talk to people in the value management discipline, as I do now, um, that's kind of their livelihood, quite literally. And the question they're all asking is, I've got a sales force of, I don't know, 500, 5,000 people. How do I get each and every one of them to do that as individuals? And and in fact, I just had a debate uh, just two hours ago around, Maybe you don't. Maybe you enable them. Someone actually, one executive at a company you guys would all know said, "Actually, we just want to have those like really high-end value conversations with a value engineer with our top customers, and and that's it because there's so much value in it." I think you, I, I don't think I'm bought into that perspective, but it was really interesting. But but all of that came down to. Alice, are something you and I've been talking about for years, and we've been seeing in all our clients at Gartner is like, that's the in sales, at least that's always the question, right? Is not what do we need to do as a company? But how do I get each and every one of my frontline sales professionals out there on the front lines doing that? Uh, and then we can come back to like, and, oh, and by the way, your customers don't want to talk to them anyway, we'll park that for a minute. Let's just assume your customers want to interact with them. This is hard, isn't it? Uh, that's At least that's what I'm wrapping my brain around. And this is what we're asking is hard.
2: Go ahead, Howard. I know you're chomping at the bit. Yeah, I'm chomping at the bit that that that's where the we and the I, right? The yeah. I is as a team, I need to work on my team dynamics. Yeah. But I need to make sure that each individual on my team understands their responsibility, understands what they need to do to improve on their skills. Yeah. So how do I look across my team and evaluate each individual? And that's where, and not to pitch my own, but that's what revenue.io does is we're listening, evaluating every motion, every engagement, every conversation, every task, every bit. Give them that nudge. Yeah, Not just a nudge, but a nudge based on performance of what happened the last time they did that. Did it deliver a positive result or was it a negative result? And that's where machine learning and AI is effective because you have billions of bits of information across every team member, who they talk to, what is the contextual situation? Is this a prospecting call, a discovery call? Am I negotiating pricing? All of those elements against who is the rep, who are they, who's on the other side of the phone or in the meeting, how many participants you're looking at, all of those bits of data, and then suggesting a motion that will improve incrementally each activity each word each thing that that individual is doing and that's being a little bit uh, too myopic but you get the you get the idea we can do this today without a lot of human intervention in terms of managers and trainers and those sort of things enablement teams that's, that's right it. yeah
1: because the, you know the play everyone's running is um, and understood around, particularly around value and value creation, value management is the center of excellence play, right? So let's let's build a COE. Uh, and and no offense to our former, uh, you know, Gartner was amazing at CEO. I could maybe, I, I really don't mean any offense, but I mean the companies got really good at. And, and Gartner was at world class. They, they literally had a center of excellence for their centers of excellence. You know what I mean? It's like it's like if you, if you want to know how to be a better center of excellence, here's a center of excellence to help you with that. And and that I think when you run at huge scale is can make a lot of sense. But but in this sort of uh, trench warfare is too militaristic. But you get the idea when you're out in the in the front with your customers virtually in person. And it's just that moment of you as a sales rep, maybe you've got an SME, maybe you don't, and you're interacting with your customers. You know, where's your center of excellence now? You know, <laughs> it's like you, you <laughs> need the, that that kind of support in the moment. Uh, and and so the
0: COE play makes it, it's hard to run the COE play at scale, isn't it? And let me jump in there because I think, you know, we, we, we've identified some big things here, right? Like the, the yeah. I'll, I'll paraphrase the shifts of eyes to we's. Yeah, The idea that we know we need machine learning models, we know we got to capture the behavior to support the moments, both pre, in the moment and post on that side, right? We're sitting there going, look, we know we need to talk about how we rationalize with buyers, but how we create the value continuously, every interaction month to month, Brent, to your earlier point. Yeah. But as you're both bringing it up, I'm sitting there listening, going, I know that's all right, but that sounds darn hard. Right. Exactly. That sounds like a boatload of stuff that needs to happen. And I think to the average person out there, they're going, well, that's really interesting, but I, how can I get there when I have this pressure? And I think that is a perfect place for us to stop. And we will answer that on the next episode coming right up. Um, Brent, Howard, thank you so much. If you liked today, certainly click like, join us on the podcast and tune in the next episode where we're going to tell you exactly how to do this in a functional, quick way. Thanks so much.
2: Brett. thank you for joining Alistair and I really appreciate it. Thanks,
0: Eric.